Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tato au horihori. Hei hōtaka i pāniki te pūtaio, te taio, mei te kaupapa o te ora. You're with Our Changing World on RNZ National, and now we have another story for International Year of Light, this time from a place where the sun sets only once a year. Light is crucial for the creatures that live on the ocean floor in shallow waters around coastland Arctica. Yet they have to get by without it for many weeks of the year. And Veronica asks Niwa marine ecologist Vonda Cummings how these underwater ecosystems adapt to their dim and cold environment and how vulnerable they are to a rapidly changing world. If you measure the incident light above the sea ice and then just below it, only less than 1% of the above ice incident light actually makes it through the thick layer of sea ice to the water below. And then the deeper you go, the less light makes it actually to the seafloor. So it's quite a dim, dark environment. Dim, dark and cold. Yeah. Doesn't sound too pleasant, yet that is a rich diversity of life. Yeah, it's surprisingly so, and, and way more than what you actually would expect from just looking at the, the land and the ice above the sea. When you look at Antarctica, it's very brown and white and maybe the odd blue from glaciers and stuff. Um, the most colourful thing you'll see will be the, the gold on an emperor penguin, but it's all very black and white and brown. And then it's a huge surprise when you actually go through the sea ice and you see the seafloor. You get your lights on the seafloor and the organisms are incredibly brightly coloured and really surprisingly there are heaps and heaps of them. So we're speaking animals here because light obviously matters to the plants there as well, but we're talking about fauna in shallow coastal waters around Antarctica. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, you know, obviously light helps the, the algae and the diatoms to grow and that's what these organisms feed on. So light's hugely important in um, providing food for these organisms and, and sustaining those amazing populations. So how do they, or the entire ecosystem, adapt to the fact that there's weeks of extremely dim light conditions during the polar winter, but even during the summer, although you get 24-hour daylight, conditions aren't exactly comfortable, or are they comfortable for them? Well, I think these organisms have evolved over a long, long time period to surviving in these kinds of conditions. So, you know, they're adapted physiologically to live in minus 1.9 degree water. When it comes to dealing with food, being either feast or famine or depending on light conditions, how are these organisms adapted to it? A lot of them feed in multiple different ways. So they might be filter feeders or scavengers or predators. So they're really good opportunistic feeders. So they will just take what they can get. What kind of creatures are we talking about? I'd imagine just the cold temperatures of the water would limit the distribution of some benthic organisms that you might find, say, in New Zealand waters. I'm only talking about invertebrates. That's what we study. So we study 
organisms that live on or in the seafloor. So if you've got sandy or muddy sediments, we look at what's living in them. So we're talking about worms and shellfish and sea stars and sea urchins. There's no crabs, so there's no um, crushing predators, which is a good thing if you're an Antarctic bivalve because you have very thin, fragile shells. Would you describe that ecosystem as healthy or even thriving? Yeah, really thriving. I mean, there, there's huge diversity and there's all sorts of different types of organisms, so in some ways more diverse than what you would find off you know, some places around New Zealand. But the changes that are expected and, and actually have been seen in other parts of Antarctica in the next, well, by the end of this century, um, are a huge threat to them. So we're talking mostly about warming and ocean acidification. So the major thing is that these organisms have adapted to living within a certain range of temperatures and we're expecting massive massive on their scale changes over their lifetime. So while a one or two degree increase in temperature might not, not seem much to us, when those guys are used to living in within a one to two degree temperature range anyway, that might just take it out of its tolerance envelope. So we've been doing a lot of studies in New Zealand and around the world about how tolerant different organisms are to particular ranges of temperature, how their functioning might change if you increase the temperature by two degrees or even one degree or whatever, um, how well do their offspring develop and survive and grow shells, how's their metabolism, do they increase their metabolic rate in response to an increase in temperature and how might that affect the rest of their ability to just function as a normal organism. So we've done some work over the last few years on looking particularly at the response of one common bivalve which is called the Antarctic gooey duck. And Antarctic gooey duck is a, a quite big shellfish. You get gooey ducks around the New Zealand coast. It's a different type though. They can grow up to like 10 centimetres long. So we did an experiment where we exposed them to the pH expected at the end of the century and we kept them under those conditions for four or five months and then we looked at um, various effects on their functioning. So we looked at their respiration rates, which went up under low pH. We looked at levels of chitin synthase, which is something involved in the shell formation process, and levels of the enzyme involved in expressing that went up, which kind of indicates that they're working harder to make their shell or maintain their shell under those kinds of conditions. So we've done those kinds of experiments. And I've had students recently who've um, added a warming effect into that as well, so looked at the effects of both warming and acidification or, or either in isolation, and found similar things and actually found quite big effects of temperature. So temperature is a biggie, and for this, this organism in particular might actually be more of an, um, a stressor than the change in pH alone. So for the adults it sounds that they are working harder yeah. with warmer temperatures and acidification going on. They're already having to work harder to just maintain their normal functioning. Yeah. So stress levels are higher. Yeah. But then when you look at the whole life cycle, there's also impact on shell development in the, in the larvae. The early life history stages of mollusks is generally considered to be the most susceptible stage to ocean acidification and because that's when they actually make their shell for the first time and if they have difficulty doing that 
or they don't do it properly, then that can affect how well they can swim or move or feed. But then the, you know, the other thing that we've been doing, which has been really interesting and very exciting, has been um, installing chambers underneath the underside of the ice and manipulating the pH concentrations of the seawater that's flowing through those chambers and then looking at the response of the algae which is growing on the underside of the ice. So we've done that, we spent a couple of seasons doing that um, and our last experiment ran for two weeks and we took samples of the algae at the end of that period um, and looked at potential effects of pH on how much algae was actually there, how much photosynthesizing they were doing and their concentrations of nutrients associated with that seawater and stuff. And so we're busy at the moment working up all those results. Can I bring you back to the the light aspect? Are we expecting Antarctica to change in that sense, that there will be more light coming through to the seafloor? If the um, persistence and extent of sea ice is affected then that will affect how much, not how much light will get through to the seafloor because we're still talking about a very tiny amount relative to what is available when there's no sea ice. But the amount of time that particular areas are uncovered by ice and so the length of time that that the light actually does make it through, that's what you see as you move further north along the Ross Sea coast, for example. So the further north you get, the more period of time during the year a particular spot might be uncovered by sea ice. That was Vonda Cummings, a marine ecologist at Niwa and one of the speakers in the Royal Society of New Zealand's Luminaries lecture series. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.